Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Anytime you're involved in sports, it's always about the journey. Those fleeting moments, those games, those shots, sure, they're great. But you reflect back on the journey. And when we reflect back on the 2018 NCAA basketball season, I think it's appropriate, Gus, that we would have Villanova, who was there from the beginning, dominant from the start, great guards, great coach, and Michigan, a team that, while talented, no one thought would be here. That seems like the perfect matchup for Championship Monday, don't you think? I think that's exactly what the listeners were kind of looking forward to. I think that's what basketball fans could appreciate. And I think that tells the perfect story of this season. You have one of the one of the teams that you knew was going to be good. You knew that they were going to have that, you know, they have the AP player of the year and Jalen Brunson. You knew that they were going to be strong. And then you knew there was going to be some volatility on the other side. And you didn't know what other team was going to show up and, and be the counterpart to the Villanova. And it's a very strong Michigan team that spent part of the season unranked. Yeah, very true. And it's amazing also, Gus, how it's so appropriate that after I've backed Michigan all year <laughs> long, <laughs> argued with you in the preseason, I've already started going back, folks. After this season's over, We'll do our recap shows. And it's amazing. I mean, I was champion Michigan from the start, (laughs) yet I fell in love with this Loyola Chicago team. I believed in this Loyola Chicago team. And sure enough, like the mush that I am, right when I get on Loyola Chicago, start putting out tweets of people doing snow angels and money. Here come the Wolverines. And I think, listeners, that's why you've tuned into the Screen to Screener College Basketball Podcast for a little diatribe for Mike Randall just like that. Thanks for tuning in, carving out some time. We appreciate that you have chosen to spend some of the lead-up to the championship game with us, the Screen to Screener College Basketball Podcast. We appreciate that. And, Mike, of course... Your love of Michigan, which goes all the way back to the preseason. I mean, we, we argued about Purdue and Michigan, who's going to be the better team, who's going to have the better season, who's going to finish higher in, in, in the Big Ten. And look who's in the championship game right now. It's your Michigan Wolverines, even though you picked against them last podcast. It's so that's, four, that's 14 straight wins for Michigan, by the way. Yeah, it's that Northwestern game. I, it's so funny because I was huge on Michigan State. I mean, I'm listening back to myself and I'm sitting here squirming as I'm listening to what I'm saying about Michigan State. So I was looking for a foil to Michigan State. It was really the genesis of this. And I love John Beeline, and I thought they'd shoot the three well, and I like that Wagner was back. I thought he'd be a first-team All-Big Ten performer. And I didn't believe in Matt Painter, and I really I, – I knew Purdue was good. I didn't think they were as good as everybody thought they were. So that's how this all came about. But then, of course, I could have like looked like a genius had I stayed with this. But like when everyone gets hot on a team, I start cooling. The contrarian Gus, I have to be to the end, right? Uh, so true. It's it's entertaining, but I think we do have to like. I hope that there's a listener out there that was just stuck with what you said. Your initial read was. It was Michigan's going to be good. Here's why they're going to be good. Here's why I really liked them. And I hope they just rode that Michigan bandwagon all the way to the championship game and just listened to you from day one and then maybe didn't take what you added on afterwards uh, onto the train and just went with your initial feed. You know what annoys me is it's amazing. We knew – specifically, I, I knew who wasn't good. Like I, I looked at the brackets and I said, I don't think Virginia's making, especially without Hunter – I didn't buy Cincinnati after watching them all year long. 
Tennessee, I'm sitting there. I can I can remember picking that Loyola Chicago Tennessee game. I'm staring at it, going, "Boy, this is a little far for Rick Barnes." Yeah, I just kept saying it, but I couldn't pull the trigger. But in any event, let's take a look at Michigan Loyola Chicago, Gus. I think this was the sort of more dramatic game of the Final Four. Okay, so uh, why don't we break this one down by four minute marks here? Okay, because this okay. really was a phenomenal game, and then maybe we'll do a little more general when it comes to <laughs> to Kansas Villanova. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, I think we could definitely segment this one and and then perhaps the next game we just talk with an overall theme. I think that sounds fine. This really was a tremendous game. Two very evenly matched teams. You said it in your preview. I was listening to that again the other day where you said Loyola Chicago looks across the court and they see themselves. These were two perfectly matched teams, two great coaches, the whole thing. First four minutes, Gus, was a feel-out period. Michigan mm. ended up leading 6-4 to four at the end of the first four minutes. Three-point shooting was off for Loyola Chicago. Not for Michigan. Matthews hit one. Wagner hit one. We'll get back to that over and over again. Right. And Clayton Custer missed two threes for the Ramblers. So sort of feeling out period. A lot of missed shots. End of that first four minutes, it was Michigan six, Loyola Chicago four. I'd love to take a view of the initial four-minute period segment of each game, like the first Final Four game from the past, like, I don't know, 10 years, and see if anybody really got out. I don't think I feel like just just this is just from memory. This I don't have any stats to back this at all. But I, I can't really remember like the first game of the Final Four where a team really got out. I think there is that like uncertainty, and and you're definitely like your feet might still be in cement, and you're like, whoa, this is really the moment. And I felt like both of those teams kind of had that feeling during that first segment. Yeah, and then the second four segment, sixteen to the under twelve timeout, Michigan ended up. 12 to 6 at the end of this four minutes. So really for the first eight minutes, first half of the game, Michigan dominated. Loyola Chicago had one basket this second period. It was two free throws by Andre Jackson. Wagner and Teske made layups inside. They were having trouble inside. When Crook mm-hmm. was not in there, they were having trouble. At this point, Wagner had been an issue. He had five rebounds, three of which were offensive at this point. He was, he's not a huge rebound, offensive rebound guy, Gus. He only had 57 no. on the year. Matthews had 53 and Teske, he only averages 12 minutes, had 56. I think that was a point of emphasis. And we'll get back to this like a little bit later on in the podcast where coaches in this type of setting and in this tournament really need to nail two things. The things they need to nail are the game planning going in and then your halftime adjustment. And obvious this, they found this as like a weakness and saw that this is some place that they could attack and maybe get a couple easy baskets. So I'm going to say excellent pregame prep on Michigan's side saying, hey, Mo, you can go get a couple easy baskets. Go try to grab some. Yeah, beeline being beeline. It was clear at this point, Gus, that Loyola Chicago was struggling to make shots, but I don't know what your thought was. My thought was I still felt good about Loyola Chicago. They Mm -hmm. weren't fouling. They were not in foul trouble, i.e. the Texas Tech game against Villanova at this point. So I felt good. I thought the threes would eventually drop because they usually dropped in every game that they had the NCAA tournament at some point. So I'm like, all right, if they can just keep this close, I felt pretty good here, no? I, I did too, and I thought that I, I felt like Custer would eventually like solve um, the Xavier Simpson like problem that he was having in the first half because he went um, almost score. I think he only had two in the first half, and I felt like he really needed to navigate and find out where he could find some openings to initiate offense and maybe even look for his own shot. But I felt like that defensive assignment 
was really in favor of Michigan early on. And until Custer started to figure that out is, you know, when he started to like decode that and find the cheat code for that, then I think he like, then, then you saw Loyola get going a little bit. Next four minutes at the under eight timeout was Michigan 15, Loyola, Chicago 12. This four minute period partner, very sloppy, a lot of mm. turnovers. Rambler's got a couple backdoors for layups going off those post passes to Crutwig, couple dribble penetration and, and a bounce pass to the baselines. Wagner had another offensive rebound and a putback, which gave Michigan their three points. So at the under eight, Michigan 15, Loyola, Chicago 12. And I think if you're the Ramblers at this point, you felt like, okay, we're fine. We did not want to get to, you know, half, you know, a quarter through the game and be out of reach. They are well within contact and they are a possession or, you know, a possession and a half away from tying this game up and playing even. So I feel like the Ramblers are like, okay, yeah, we're right where we want to be right now. Two segments left. Next one gets to the under four timeout. It's Loyola Chicago 21, Michigan 19. They took the lead here. Yeah. Uh, Krutwig had four points. He was doing everything. I thought his up and under moves were great. He was going right at Wagner, trying to get somebody to do, to, to foul him. And it, it was perfect. Wagner was backing off a little bit and Krutwig is an issue inside. Michigan was only two of nine from the field. Loyola Chicago's perfect defensive positioning was spot on here. They were cross-facing, boxing out, helping, recovering, closing out hard, and everything was one and done for this segment here. Wagner had two laps, which is the only thing that kept him close. At the under four, Loyola Chicago 21, Michigan 19. You know what I started to think at this point of the game? And tell me if this came into your – we didn't talk about this pre-podcast at all or like you know text or anything. But I felt like, hmm, look at Beeline. Treating Crutwig exactly like he would treat Isaac Hobbs. Oh, good call. I didn't think of that. Very good. Very good. Like, Excellent. Look at him just saying, okay, do what you can down there. We're going to let you operate and shoot some contested twos, but we are not leaving our shooters on the three-point line to go ahead and double-team uh, a 6'9 you know, freshman that plays 20 minutes a game. That's not how we're going to lose this game. So I felt like that was like a consistent game plan. I think – Initially, like when Crowe, you know, Crowe got those couple of beautiful up and under moves. Loved his post game. He's real. I think he's actually kind of gifted and skilled down there. Um, but you could see that nobody was coming down to hedge. So that was like a fortune teller and saying like, okay, they're going to let him do this. This reminds me exactly of the Purdue games they played. Yeah, Yaklich, that, that was clearly his plan. And I, and I have no problem with that. I thought that was a fair plan. But you're, you're having a Loyola Chicago team get comfortable at this point. I started feeling very, very good here. Then we go to halftime. At halftime, of course, Loyola Chicago 29, Michigan 22, up 7. All Michigan had here was Matthews had an N1. Outside of mm-hmm. that, it was Krutwig with a shot. Custer had two free throws. Ingram hit the jumper at the, at the end of the half. Loyola Chicago had not made a three the entire half and led by seven. I thought this was money in the bank. It kind of felt like, oh boy, if they can hit a couple threes in the second half, they might not have a seven-point lead. They might run this lead to double, double digits. That's how I kind of felt leading into the half because they were not doubling off of those guys. And you know they had to pick their poison at some point. Would the halftime adjustment mean they would double off of those three-point shooters and then those threes would now become open and they'd hit a couple? Oh, man. I, 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 you felt like Michigan really had to get this right the second half in order for them to come back in this game. Now, I, I don't know if you got a chance to see. I took the my bookie uh, second half thing, which was Loyola Chicago plus six and a half. I was absolutely positive they were winning at this point. So I circled uh-huh. that and put that out. Obviously, you know how that ended up. However, I would put, my logic was 
Against Miami, Loyola Chicago made eight threes. Tennessee, they made eight threes. Against Nevada, they only made five, but they did make five. In Kansas State, they made nine. I didn't think there was a chance in hell they were getting out of here without making less than three or four threes. So if that's the case, that's 12 points to me on a pretty good defensive team that was not in foul trouble. This one looked golden. And again, Michigan is good against the three. They've gotten better. But coming to the game, they're about 60th in the country defending the three. I mean, solid, but not fantastic. And they've gone against teams that defend the three well, like Kansas State, the whole thing. And they made them there. So I felt pretty good at halftime, Gus. I thought Loyola Chicago was going to get whatever they wanted to. It's I expected Wagner to stop doing his Charles Barkley imitation on the offensive boards. <laughs> so at halftime, I felt pretty good, man. But that's why they play the games, right? That's correct. You, you, yeah, you felt like there would be a market correction for Loyola Chicago from the three-point line, like you mentioned, and that that some of those makes would be coming, or you know, some of those makes would be anticipated at least. And man, were we wrong because that second half really took a turn, and there was definitely a pivot point in the second half uh, where this game kind of turned on its side and went into the Wolverines' favor. Yeah, there's a pivot point. There's also a terrible coaching decision, but I'll get into that also. So yeah, the, yeah. The, the 20 to the 16 mark, no blood, no foul, still a seven-point lead. Loyola Chicago 36, Michigan 29. Bunch of layups, backdoor layups by Loyola Chicago. Kurtwig started with an N1 to start the second half. So they were getting whatever they wanted. Michigan's defense, again, trying to pick their poison. They weren't sure at this point. Wagner did have a dunk. Duncan Robinson had a three, which is going to be very important down the line. We'll get into that. Right. I still felt Loyola Chicago was totally in control of this game here. I, I, I did too, and you felt like – Beeline needed to make some sort of adjustment, whether it be on the offensive end or the defensive end. And so you wanted to see what strings he was going to pull. You know he talked to his guys and coached them up properly, and he's great at that halftime adjustment game. But you wanted to see what he did. And it was interesting because I think right around this time, they made a Michigan makes a run without their two best players on the floor. Yeah. Which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, they had that odd lineup, that incredible lineup that that they ended up making the run with. But so at the 16 minute mark to the under 12, at the under 12, it's still a six point lead. So it's still Loyola Chicago 43, Michigan 37. Right. Custer made a three and a layup to make it a 10 point lead, 41 31. So here's a great defensive team mm-hmm. with five guys who can handle with a great coach mm-hmm. that makes their free throws with a 10 point lead in a dome. I thought that was good to go. Jaron Simmons made a very, very big three-pointer right before the under-12 timeout, which cut it from 43-34 to 43-37. I thought that was a huge basket. And that's the lineup. That Simmons, Poole, Abdur-Rahman, Robinson, and then Teske lineup. That lineup kept Crutwig kind of under control. They produced a couple of turnovers, which was very un-Loyola-like. And they did this without their two best players on the floor, which is crazy. And then you knew Poole was going to have an offensive impact. And then after that timeout, he came in and hit a couple of shots, hit a couple free throws. And then, boom, it starts snowballing. And then look what happens. I mean, it was unpredictable that the Wolverines would get this result with this lineup. That was shocking. The 12 to the under-8 timeout. At the under-8 timeout, next four minutes, it's Loyola Chicago 47, Michigan 44. This, Gus, set up a very huge mistake by Porter Mosier. And listen, Porter Mosier is phenomenal, outstanding, couldn't have done a better job, legendary coach than Loyola Chicago, but it doesn't mean he's free from criticism. I'll get into that in the next break. 
Duncan Robinson makes his second three. And here comes the stack us that they're 28-0 and in Duncan yeah. Robinson's career when he scored six points. Uh, who, who keeps track of this? I have no idea. Uh, but they t- th- th- Thank you for the stack keepers. That do uh, amazing. <laughs> I would like to be one of those guys, actually. But uh, teams – like, it, guy throws a bounce pass to the post. And they'll be like, you know, according to the Elias Sports Bureau, when uh, Gus Kearns does a bounce pass to the post, you know, it's amazing. Teams exchange two missed threes. So each team missed two each. Crutwig was huge. Entry pass, spacing. He's an excellent passer. And Wagner could not foul. If Wagner gets in foul trouble, beeline mm-hmm. me, you, everybody, President Trump, whoever, they all realized this game was over. So this was the critical juncture. Crutwig changed the game. He would slam post right at that nail. And yep. he's a release because he's so large and thick that you cannot front him. So what he was, was the Michigan guards who were really in your face, out on the perimeter, there was always Crutwig. There was always Crutwig. He was huge. So even though, like you said, Michigan started making a run, Loyola Chicago still up three at the under eight timeout. Right. And you felt like, here's another interesting fact in this game that I think happened right around this juncture. Towns comes up with some cramp problems and cannot get back in the game soon enough for Loyola Chicago. And that really hampered uh, the the rotation and the decision-making that uh, Coach Moser was going to do on the sidelines. And that was a big loss in a crucial point of the game. You could kind of feel the game uh, leaning towards the Wolverines' way. Yeah, and that, that sort of started everything. Now, my first reaction when it happened – was Mm. here we go again because we've talked the entire season about if a key player gets injured, everything falls apart. However, he had cramps. So I know a lot of our listeners are probably going to wait for me to rail on that. I'm not. If you have cramps, get some water, you come back in the game. I'm not using the injury bug with cramps. If he tore his ACL on that, yeah, that'd be a different story. But folks, cramps happen in games. Okay, you got to work through it. You got to get through it. He's in pain. I have no problem, but I don't think that that's a fair excuse. I'm not going to use it. It certainly affected the game, but it's something that Loyola Chicago should have come over with. If Clayton Custer tears his ACL with six minutes left, that destroys the entire game to me. But this one I thought was fair. Here's my issue. Okay. Towns airballs the three. So basically he jumped off the ground and he got a cramp, so airballs the three. Fine. After the break, Lucas Williamson drives to the basket, okay, throws up an airball. Now, mm-hmm. Lucas Williamson, you can argue maybe he should have been in the game, but I guess Towns, he put him in the game. Fine. He throws up the air ball. Krotwig reacts, catches the ball, dribbles under the basket, and steps out of bounds. Now, that's not his fault, Gus, but he's credited with a turnover, and I think yes. that played into the problem here. Here comes Michigan back down the other way. Bang, Wagner, three, tie the game. Okay? Right. Now, Krotwig gets the ball on the very next possession at the nail again tries to lob the ball to Ingram in the post, but it's too far. That technically is back-to-back turnovers by Kurtwig, but it's not. The first turnover was Williamson's ridiculous lob with one-hand layup that Kurtwig tried to clean up his slop. He was subbed out of the game there. He was subbed out of the game. That is a horrific decision by Porter Mosier. You have six minutes left to go to make the national championship game. And by far, your best player that night, the guy who's going mano a mano with the second coming of Dennis Rodman slash Shaq, Mo Wagner on the other side, sits down for two minutes. Disastrous decision. 
he immediately turned after that lob and said, get him out of there with the second turnover. It's a problem. Here comes Michigan. He also put in Gus Bruno Skopna. Okay. The kid is a sophomore. He played three minutes in this game. He was not ready to be in the game at this point. He airballed a three from the corner. And after the airball, here comes Crutwig back in the game. Sometimes, man, it comes down to a game of inches. You win games on the margins. That was the killer. Wagner layup. Wagner put back and one, Wagner three, good night. I think Mosier made a mistake. I think he panicked. I think the team panicked. And without Crutwig in that game, yep. even if Jackson is at the nail, I watched it on tape again. It's not the same. No, they're it's look, not. They're looking at Jackson. Wagner totally has him engulfed. Okay. Crutwig is there. Wide body balance base of support. Cheers to, to Rick Majerus. May he rest in peace. I got that at a clinic from him. That was the critical stretch, Gus, at the under-four timeout. Michigan 61, Loyola Chicago 53. When you don't have two of your best players, you know, Towns and Krubick on the floor at the same time during the crucial juncture of the game, then that's what's going to happen. I think if, you know, if Towns is in, then maybe you make that move and 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 get Krugwick off the floor for a possession or two. But if you're going to take both of those guys off the floor in the jun- that juncture of the game, I agree. I think it's just a poor decision. I, I think you have to weigh both ends of it. I think it re- you have to realize, like, hey, one of my studs is not on the floor. One of the guys I've trusted all year is not on the floor. I can't take another guy off. Yeah, he like can't you, you can't you can't do both. He can't do it. Then there became a, a a pass where the ball went between two Loyola Chicago players. This is where Michigan playing in the Power Five conference comes into play. This is where Mo Wagner with his experience comes into play. And this is where John Beeline yep. recognizes what's going on. Again, it's not a slight, but folks, that changed the game. Rest of the game, Gus, really not much to talk about. Duncan Robinson made three free throws in that last four minutes. Loyola Chicago turned the ball over, and that was it. They were never in a situation, much like Virginia. Remember when Virginia playing Maryland, Baltimore County? They're down 13. You and Dr. Tony together. Game's over. Okay, the game right. is over. Over. Loyola Chicago in a dome, okay, is not coming back from down eight with four minutes left against a Michigan team that knows how to win games. They needed to keep the lead. Crutwig had to stay on the floor. He didn't look gassed to me. In fact, coming out of the timeout, they showed a picture of Crutwig, and I'm like, why is he not in the game? This is not right. second guessing. He that, played 24. He played 24 minutes. Yeah, he's got to play 28. You know what I mean, man? Right. Like you can rest. Totally with you. you can rest all summer. Anyway, fantastic win by Michigan. John Beeline doing it. Great job. The team doesn't really have a true true point guard, but they're here. They got a puncher's chance on Monday, Gus. Great win for for Michigan and Loyola Chicago. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, you, you, you're going to uh, well, be all season. over one shining moment. I mean, just right. a wonderful season, man. I mean, yeah. Unbelievable. You you could argue that one shining moment is just going to be them and UMBC. I think that's going to be it. It's, right? I'll tell you just, so, I was talking. Uh, I was talking to my wife about it today. Uh, we had you know people. Uh, my parents were freeze to the whole thing, and uh, I started singing one shining moment again for people who are just tuning in. That's the song that I came out to. My wife and I at our wedding. That's how we entered the wedding hall. Was one shining moment. But I'm singing. And she goes, "Oh, she goes. That's tomorrow night, right?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, "Oh, I know what they're showing." I said, "What are they showing?" She goes, "They're showing that uh, kid against Michigan laying on the floor when they're all jumping around." Uh, yes, they are. Hon. That's Very exactly. good. Okay, yes, nice. they, that yeah. is what they're going to show. So I'd say that and a lot of Loyola Chicago. And of course, we'll get a Sister Jean picture. But wonderful game, right, Gus? Amazing game. Uh, I mean, look, I, I, I agree with your applauding of Loyola Chicago. Yeah, Absolutely yeah, proved that they belong in the final four. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's great. Like, it wasn't one of these situations where you're like, oh, my goodness, they're going to get blown out and this is going to get ugly. 
No, that that's the other game. But no, this game was there. It was toe for toe. And I agree. In that final four minute stretch, if you're down eight, it's going to be tough against a top five Ken Palm uh, defensive team, which which Michigan now is. And you needed to keep it out of possession or at least four points. It once it got to eight, then it was going to vacillate between you know ten and six, and then you weren't you weren't ever going to get close enough to you know pull pull it all the way back from where you had it, where it was forty one thirty one with fourteen minutes remaining. But again, like it's crazy. Like in this single elimination situation, in forty minutes, like crucial decisions like the one you mentioned with Crutwig, and then you know crucial circumstances like the one we mentioned with Towns obviously play a huge factor into determining the winners and the losers of this game. And this is why the NCAA tournament is the best sporting event in all the sports. Let's think this through. I'm home. My son's sleeping. So I had to celebrate this without making a noise. And you know me. You know what I was doing, part. I was punching myself. Ingram's got to Ingram's hit a three, okay, basically at the buzzer, give or take against Miami, to right. even get him here. So here's Loyola Chicago. Hasn't been in the NCAA tournament for 33 years. They need an Ingram three from the circle, okay, just to beat Miami. And on the flip side, Michigan needs a Jordan Poole doing some sort of Russian dance split while he kicks his legs out trying to get (laughs) fouled, makes a three to get here. But that's the beauty of the tournament. That's why we love it. You need those buzzer beaters. It's a game of inches, partner. Those two things don't happen. Who the heck knows who's in this game right now? Certainly not those two teams because the, the script would have played out totally differently. Yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned buzzer beaters. So, listeners, we're just going to take you on a – we're going to give you your full basketball update. We are not going to ignore the women's game. Congratulations to Notre Dame. Notre Dame defeats Mississippi State 61-58 on a last-second three-point shot um, after Notre Dame took down UConn in the final four and over. Two years in a row, UConn has lost in the Final Four in overtime, and I've been practicing this one. I'm going to try to get it right. Arika Agunboale hit the buzzer beater for Notre Dame on a step-back three. My daughter and I were watching that, and her mouth was just like, oh. Now, this is the beauty of of our sport, both in the women's game and in the men's game. This is not a seven-game series. Where it's if it's a close game, you get to come back the next day, make corrections, and then you can try to win the following game. It is a 40-minute matchup, single elimination tournament. This tournament is harsh. It's truthful. The coaches, like we mentioned before, the coaches have to nail the game planning prior, and they have to nail their halftime adjustments. If you don't, guess what? You go home. You go home just like an undefeated UConn team. You go home like Loyola Chicago. You go home like Kansas. You go home like any team that was victim to an upset if you don't make those adjustments inside those 40 minutes. Love our sport. Love our tournament. So the, the fight, it's a great point. And the games were incredible for the women's game. And the women's game, if you look at just the X's and O's, is better than the men's. You have some of the best X and O strategy sort of matchups that you could have in all of basketball when you're talking about high-level women's college basketball or pros. In this one, my I wasn't watching it. My dad texted me and said, you know, UConn's in trouble. So I turned the game on. on <laughs> I, 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 love that, I love that your dad texted me. He did. That's so like, I go, let me check this out. And listen, I'm rooting against UConn. Listen, Gino, I've had – I would root against any team, Gus, in any sport, high or low, I don't care. If you've won 65 million championships, who's rooting for you? It takes away from the game. You know, I talked about how I just had a little bit of a, a, I would say it wasn't quite 
the feeling I thought I would have when Maryland Baltimore County beat Virginia because right. I just didn't expect it to be a blowout. It was just sort of a – it wasn't – it was anticlimactic, to be totally honest with you. It was wonderful. It was drama, but I'm still waiting for the 16 seed to, to win a back and forth. It's the same way with watching UConn, but I did watch it. The, it was a tremendous game. UConn, by the way, had a great play at the end and got a good look to almost tie, to but, beat that game. Sam, yeah, Samson had a great look. Oh, my God. And then this one, I'm watching my son and I are playing Candy Crush on the iPad. Okay, my, my wife's getting my daughter ready for bed. And sure. I'm watching this and I'm like, you know, I bet Muffy's got to play here. And so I keep it on. Bang, she hits the three right off the corner. Very exciting. A lot yeah. of fun. Fantastic. Congratulations, Notre Dame. And listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gino. You have 35 national champions. I'm sorry, you know. It happens. Did you, but. did you did you hear his comment uh, after he lost at the buzzer? I'm sure it was very. What was it good? Well, tell me it was good. Not it, it, it was good. Uh, we can't repeat it on the podcast um, due to the the language used, but it was absolutely entertaining and 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 very truthful. So go you know go Google that and then you can listen to it without your kids in the car. Okay. Um, oh, that's good. Uh, so Gino, so Gino. Yeah, it was it was very good. Uh, congratulations to Penn State. Penn State wins the NIT championship in the Very Garden. Good. Yes. Uh, Carr comes back next year. Coach Chambers, maybe they follow the uh, you know TCU plan after winning the uh, NIT, and then can make the tournament the following year and be like a you know find their way in the rankings or something of that nature, like TCU did a whole bunch of the time this year. And uh, we want to say congratulations to North Texas and the Mean Green winning the CBI championship. They defeated San Francisco two games to one. The CBI does play a three-game series in their final, and that's after San Francisco won game one. So the Mean Green had to come back and win two straight. Kudos to Roosevelt Smart having 25 points in the game three clincher for North Texas. So, listeners, now you're all caught up. Now you can go in next week and talk everything college basketball. You can talk a little women's game. You can go a little NIT. You go to a little CBI. You are not. You don't have to talk the tournament. You got everything covered right there if you listen to Screen to Screen or College Basketball Podcast. I, lo- I love that the Penn State win. You know, they played tough all year, did a fantastic job, beat Utah also. Utah very well coached, of course, Christowiak, the whole, the whole thing. And then you go to the other one, San Francisco. I like to thank San Francisco, but great win for San Francisco getting there because they made me a lot of money earlier this year when they beat St. Mary's. St. That Mary's is true. At home in that game, I went to bed. I woke up. I go, how about them Dons? Hi, go. Money line. Thank you, San Francisco. Uh, yeah, the Dodds, Dodds played tough all year. So, you know, get, going to, a, you know, the final game in this CBI situation is not super surprising because they, 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 were, they were frisky all year in the West Coast Conference. All right, Mike, do we want to get to the other part of the Final Four now? Do you want to talk Kansas and Nova? Do you want to talk how Nova put up 95 points on Kansas and won 95-79? Do we want to talk that they had an unbelievable amount of threes? 18 made threes by seven different players. I mean, holy smokes. Devontae Graham and Malik Newman did everything they could. They shot six for 13 combined from the three. Uh, Graham had 23. Malik Newman had 21. He has over 100 points in the tournament total, which is nuts. He's the highest scorer in the whole entire tournament thus far. Did you did you feel like Kansas had a shot at any point during this matchup? No, I, I didn't. I, I felt like this one went exactly as we both thought it would. I, listen, I yeah. didn't think they'd get on fire. Omari Spellman is the difference maker. Jalen Brunson is your national play of the year, as he should be. Congratulations to him. Bridges had a great year as well. 
I, you know my thoughts on Dante DiVincenzo. He made my, my new Valentine. But Amari Spellman is the difference maker. This kid has come so far from where we saw him preseason. He was hitting shots early. He was a matchup nightmare. He did a great job on the boards as well. Just absolutely unbelievable by them. Svima Hilek to me, Gus, has been the issue. They really they needed Svima Hilek to be a lot better than he was. He was sort of the disappointment for Kansas. I mean, listen, they weren't winning this game either way. But right. Mihailik, 10 against Penn, 16 against Seton Hall, 9 against Clemson, 11 against Duke, 10 against Nova. It's just not going to do it. You know, Self only plays six guys, basically. But I will say this. Great job by Villanova. Jay Wright, it's amazing. I'm watching Jay Wright and Bill Self. Gus, I'm thinking of two things. Number one, both these guys want to be run out of town. People said Bill Self can't win a title. He beats Memphis. He wipes his brow, right? I make right. fun of him all the time right. for that. Jay, White was, Jay Wright was being run out of town, can't win the big one. Back-to-back, I think they didn't make the tournament for a while there. And then Scotty Reynolds takes him to a Final Four. Then they win the title. Bang, Chris Jenkins, right? And now they're on the verge of winning another one. But how about Bill Self? And I will never, ever say anything about Bill Self. How many coaches, Gus, can lose – their five-star top recruit. And it appears that Billy Preston, believe it or not, was actually a five-star recruit, unlike the Kentucky players, right? So you lose a five-star recruit like, <laughs> right, Bill, yeah. like Billy Preston, okay? Suffer through the injuries. De- D'Souza's in. He's out. He's not there. He puts Mitch Lightfoot in the starting lineup. He did it with smoke and mirrors. I think it's his best coaching job ever. Got to a Final Four. He ran into a buzzsaw. If they make just nine of these threes, Gus, Kansas may win this game. I agree. I, I don't know if there was much he could have done because of the way Villanova shot the ball. And just to go back and reflect upon a couple of your comments about self. Um, yeah. And self's reliance on playing freshman the last couple of years has totally, his philosophy has totally changed on that. So if Preston was, you know, eligible, he would have played him heavy minutes because that's what he's done with these, you know, impact freshmen in years past. Uh, whether it be Wiggins or Embiid or, or uh, last year with Josh Jackson, um, so he would have played him and put him in, you know, put put him in in at least a, 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 a role where he could contribute. And I agree. How many people? How many places? How many uh, times did we hear? Oh, this is the year they're vulnerable in the Big Twelve. I, I don't know if they're going to have the horses to do it this year. Man, I just don't know. You know what? I really like that Kansas State. Man, I think that, that Texas Tech is going to take them down. You know who's really good this year in the Big 12? And look, look who came out on top. Look who won the regular season Big 12 for the 14th year. Look who – look. I mean, you know, what in the world? And then you take this team to a Final Four after everybody's like, oh, they're the weakest one seed. They're going to ups- get upset by Penn. Like, forget it. The guy, I agree. Smoke and mirrors, what a magician, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to call it. He did an unbelievable job, and I agree. This could be his best coaching job of his entire tenure at Kansas. 14 years in a row, they won the Big 12. Now, listen, I don't know what's going to happen next year. TCU uh, really coming on. I was listening to our comments about TCU beginning of the year. We were right, we were spot on on them. Jamie Dixon, they got a lot of great teams in the Big 12, but it's going to be very difficult to doubt them again. Fantastic job by Bill Self in, in one of the top, if not the top conference. I like the SEC, but still in the country fantastic kudos villanova deserves to be in the finals and kansas don't worry about it there should be no criticism at the barber shops out there in kansas about the job that bill self did billy preston is on the side of a milk carton right now and this guy's doing it with mitch lightfoot benching legerald vick and Devonte graham and svima hylik who gave him nothing great job and just to i'm not um, a mahalik defender by any means but i'm just gonna at least try to explain because why he didn't have the impact on the offensive end maybe he we were looking for. 
he was asked to guard the bigger guys like Kansas, like bought into the small ball thing that we'll talk a tiny bit at the end of the podcast about of like the changing of the game and how it's already upon us. It does. It's not like changing now with this Villanova team. It, it's already started to happen. And, and Bill Self, who is, you know, big on playing two bigs. He did not want to shoot a ton of threes. Uh, he, he really was, you know, he, he really was set in his ways. But even the last couple of years, like, this Kansas team has shot more threes than any Kansas team has ever shot. Even the last couple of years, you can see the way that their three-point uh, attempts uh, are trending in the upward direction. Uh, you can see the lineups that, that uh, Bill Self put out there uh, this particular year. You even mentioned that he put Lightfoot into the starting lineup. So, I mean, he he played one in, four out almost the entire year. And Mihailik was asked to guard some of those bigger guys because of his frame and because just because of his – uh, I guess, you know, time in the system. And, and at least he kind of has some good fundamentals. But if he's going to be asked to guard Bagley and then be asked to guard like Spellman or, or Pascal, like then that he, he's got to give up something. And I guess that's the, the something that he gave up was on the offensive end. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was just a great job. I It's funny. I remember going back to the beginning of the tournament. It's just so hard to predict, man. I mean, all, those, all those years that I've supported Kansas, I've supported them with Sharon Collins and they bonk against Ali Farouk Manish. I support them with Ben McLemore. He has a terrible tournament and they can't stop Trey Burke at the end of the game. And now this year where they look their most vulnerable, go figure. They make the final four and they beat Duke on their way there. Amazing. By the way, do you think this same thing would have happened to Duke? I was thinking that during this game. Do you think that do you think that Villanova would put up 95 points and shoot this well against the Duke team that Kansas lost to? Uh, you know, that's a great question, man. I did think about that the other day. I I think the, the what you have to do against Villanova, which is going to go back to what Michigan's going to have to do on Monday, right. you have to have an inside game. Right. You have to have something that slows them down. Texas Tech was fantastic defensively with the length. Now, listen, Michigan is very good defensively too, but also Texas Tech was able to pound the ball inside of those bigs and get offensive rebounds. The issue is Bagley Carter would have had to have a phenomenal game in mm-hmm. order to stop that because it would stop flow, right? It's really right, easy, right. Gus, if we're up 9-3 to three and we're feeling good for me to pull up on the break. But it's a little harder if we're on the half – down screen, oh, Bagley, oh, offensive. You know, you don't – it disrupts it. It's the butterfly effect. So do I think it would have happened? Yes, for the reasons that I said about Duke. You know, you can't all of a sudden start switching to zone mid-year. But right. if the way it couldn't have happened is if they had a massive inside game, which Kansas did not have as Abuki was hurt. Then I heard by this wonderful story. I hadn't seen his mother for six years. He went out at midnight and went to see his mother, picked her up from the plane. So a lot of emotions there with basically their only player, Gus, who could have really stopped this. So with their inside game, I give Duke a, a puncher's chance, but not, yeah. the way, not the way they were playing zone this year. I just don't think it was going to happen. Yeah, and plus, if you're going to play zone and you're going to have that team shoot that well, I mean, that sounds like a recipe for disaster anyway. Um, and just to, you know, just go over some of these crazy stats, you know, the player, the AP player of the year, Brunson, had three threes. He had 18 points. Uh, Pascal, 24. You know, you mentioned Spellman. He, his, his line is unbelievably unique. He had 15 uh, points, 13 boards, and three made threes. And then you had everybody else in double digits. Uh, everybody... Uh, you know, uh, Booth, Bridges, DiVincenzo, all those guys had more than two made threes. They shot 55% from the field, 45% from three, and they only shot seven free throws because when you're shooting like that from the outside, why take it inside, right? And why draw fouls? Like, what, what, what's the, what's the purpose of that even? So true, so, man. So true. Yeah. So, uh, you know, 
I think the matchup's going to be incredible. Mike, do you have a feel one way or the other? Uh, Michigan, Nova, uh, you feel like it's going to be a high-scoring game. Do you think Michigan's going to try to muck it up and slow it down? Do you think they're going to try to get out and run with them? Uh, do you think Nova's going to be comfortable in that slowdown situation? Where, where, Just, you know, not maybe not a prediction, but, like, what do you feel? What, what do you feel like is going to happen? Well, I hate the knee-jerk reaction, and I'm contrarian at heart. So the idea that Villanova's going to blow them out because they made 55 million threes is idiotic. That, that, right. that is not true. Right. I do think that John Beeline is wonderful. I believe in him, and I think he's going to have some stuff. And by the way, I did say this to you. I thought Kansas should have started in the zone, and they didn't. They went to the zone. It was like 21-6. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so I think Beeline will do some things. I can't, in my logic, after watching that performance, not pick Villanova to win. Would I bet it with the six? And I would give the points, I guess. I wouldn't feel great about it. But then again, I felt great about Loyola Chicago. So what does that mean? I think Villanova wins. I think I think that Michigan has a chance to win this game. I don't think this is a slam dunk. And mm-hmm. I don't care that they shot the three well. That means nothing to me because I think Michigan – remember I told you, Michigan doesn't go two games in a row without shooting the, the three well. So Michigan can either match them with the threes or they can defend them well enough and stop them. I can go either way there. But, of course, I, I think it's very difficult, Gus, to come up without a big inside presence, a rationale that Michigan is going to win this game if I had to make a pick. And, like, you know, I was betting money on it. I, I, I couldn't not take Villanova. I'm with you there. I even like Villanova by double digits here. Here's why I like Villanova by double digits. Like, what are you going to do if you're Michigan? Are you going to get out and defend a three? Okay, if you get out and defend a three, guess what they're probably going to do? They're probably going to do the exact same thing they did to Texas Tech and get double-digit offensive rebounds and get a whole bunch of easy twos and then get fouled on those and get some N1s and make all their free throws. Like, I don't know what way you defend this team besides putting a sixth defender on the floor, which is illegal and would be a technical foul. Like, I I don't know how you're (laughs) going to slow this team down. They lived in the offensive happy Big East all year, and they've done nothing but play like they did all season inside the Big East. They put up ninety. They put up ninety uh, against West Virginia. Uh, did Texas Tech slow them down a little bit? Yes, that's because Texas Tech's a very excellent defensive team. They're ranked number four uh, via Ken Palm on the defensive side. So could they get slowed down a little bit? Sure, but are they going to get slowed down enough where they're you know going to be in danger of losing this game? I don't think so. And here's the matchup I'm going to pay really close attention to. I love the Xavier Simpson Brunson matchup at the point. I think this is going to be very uh, Brunson and Baldwin like, Baldwin from Butler. I think those guys might cancel each out more than you think they might. And the advantage might not be so much in, in Villanova's favor. But I also think, like the other spots on the floor, uh, Villanova is either going to match up really well or have an advantage. So I, I you know what? I just think that Villanova has too many things working. There's too many weapons to pay attention to. So I'm going to say give me Villanova. Give me Villanova by 9, 10, 11 points. Yeah, I guess this is the way I'm summing it up. I can't wait to watch it. I think it's intriguing. I don't think it's a slam dunk for Villanova at all. I don't think they're going to steamroll this game like UNLV versus Duke back in 1990. No. And I think if they played 10 times, I think Michigan would find a way to win two or three. So okay. there's a yeah. there's a there's a there's a schematic here, and I, I'd like to watch it. But if you made me pick, I, I agree with everything you just said. Just one quick thing, because people are going to talk about like how does a game like change and Villanova changing? Guys, it's already it's already upon us. Like, take a look at how the number two team via Ken Palm defensive efficiency numbers. Cincinnati lost. They lost to like a positionless Nevada team uh, that, that that shoots threes and and doesn't have any you know defined offensive assignments. 
Just the number one team uh, via Ken Palm defensive efficiency UV, uh, UVA. You know, they lose to a team that jacks up a lot of threes and made a lot of threes and, and finds creases in the defense. Look at Tennessee. I mean, they lost to Loyola Chicago, one of our darlings. Uh, t- tennis, Texas Tech, the number four defensive ranked team, uh, fell to Villanova. So I, I don't know if, like, the, the, you know, I don't know if, like, the game is, like, changing – it's already changed, and Villanova and Michigan are kind of ahead of the curve. They have, like, positionless guys that can shoot threes, that can defend, and um, are not, and can actually ball handle. Like, it's hard to recruit that type of guy because that type of guy might not be a five-star recruit. So maybe, you know, you made fun of, like, Kentucky getting, like, the 38 stars. Maybe what we need to pay attention to, and you called for this earlier, Mike, is to get a different rating system besides the stars for these recruits. Like, maybe grading them in each one of their skill sets. Like, uh, you know, we say in baseball, like, oh, that guy's a five-tool player. Maybe grade all the tools as opposed to just giving them five stars overall. So I think. The, the future is here, and you're, you're staring at it in Bridges. You're staring at it in uh, Matthews from Michigan. You're staring at it with the Martin brothers from Nevada. You're staring at it with uh, you know Ingram and Towns from uh, Loyola Chicago. Like, great ball handlers that can shoot the three and guard and play multiple positions. That, that's where the game is, and it's been there for a while. It's not like, like this tournament is going to define it and say, like, oh, this is where the change happened with this Villanova team. Villanova was way ahead of the curve. I'm not ready to say that these slow-down defensive teams can't make a Final Four or win it. We saw Loyola Chicago do it. We saw mm-hmm. Wichita State do it when they were an 8-9 mm-hmm. game. with, But they had clean Anthony early, okay? They have Van Vliet and Baker. Those guys were young. I get it. You you, you can do it. I, I'm not – people are really bashing Tony Bennett. He got the coach of the year. They go, well, for regular season, right? <laughs> Very funny. Snicker, snicker. <laughs> right. He's right. a fantastic the guy's coach. A ge- the guy's a genius. The, if you're going to play that style, you need to have a guy mm-hmm. who can take over or you need to have an incredibly great point guard, a Kemba Walker-esque-like guy who takes over, even if he's not an NBA player, Gus, but maybe he's a really good college player, right? Khalid oh. Al-Amin. You know, I, I mean, I, how, about, how about like a healthy Keenan Evans? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, they can make it, but you need to have that. And I will say this. I agree with you. The Jenga puzzle is so delicate then because – you can, they can lose Jared Vanderbilt, Kentucky. They end up in the same spot they would have ended up in anyway. But you can't lose that player. You can't lose Keenan Evans. You can't lose a DeAndre Hunter because your season's over. You won't – in a right. tournament that stresses offense, that wants offensive output with the rules and the way they are, you just have to have a certain style. And I believe in Tony Bennett. I think he'll make a Final Four of Virginia. I really do. I just think Why he has you? to recruit a couple of players and maybe get one kid in there. And if he lands that guy, absolutely. He won the ACC, guys. Come on. Multiple times now. And they won the ACC by, what, over three games. It wasn't yeah. even like – It was like five, four, five. Yeah. I mean, guys, come on. It, it, it wasn't even an issue going into the final weekend. I, I mean, you're saying he, he, he can't go – he can't win four games? He can't win five. Come on, guys. Just be realistic here. I know Malachi Richardson. I get it. But look at all these coaches. And I said this one to you before, Gus. In the last X amount of years since John Calipari took over at Kentucky, the only coach who's won more than one is Mike Krzyzewski. Right. So you want to say self. You want to say Calipari. All Tony Bennett, Gus, is one behind those guys. 
That, that's it. That's, and, and you I know what? That, that, that is a great point. Okay. That's a phenomenal point. And I mean, I understand he's been a, a number one seed three times in the last five years. I get that. But he'll have his day. I remember going back to the 80s. I, if any of our listeners remember this, send me a tweet at Randall Rant. You can always contact the show at SDS Podcast or Gus at Currents 12 Tom Osborne was the college football head coach at Nebraska. He went for two, Gus, in the championship game against Miami, whereas if he just kicked the extra point and they got a tie, he would win the national title. You know what happened, Gus? They didn't get it. He was murdered. He was crucified in the papers. You lost it. Nebraska, and by the way, that's big in Nebraska. Okay, we're talking like, you know, the Crosstown shootout's big in Cincinnati, babe. Okay, it's a little big down in Nebraska. And you know what he did, Gus? He said, I, this is what I do. This is the way we are. I'm not changing it. He went on and won two national titles after that. I think he became senator or congressman in Nebraska. <laughs> Guys, Tony Bennett's going to be fine. Okay, he'll be fine. Could be our next president, Gus. Who knows? Right? I, I think I think we'd be okay with Good that. Good-looking man, well-spoken. Who knows? That could resonate. Right? Yeah, yeah. Kindness is Does always Does he know cool. Stormy Daniels? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thankfully so. Down um, screen, back screen. So, listeners, thank you so much for tuning into the College Basketball <laughs> Screen Screener College Basketball uh, College Basketball Podcast. Totally appreciate sharing March with you, and I guess now April. Happy Passover, Happy Easter, Happy April Fools! I hope whatever you decide to celebrate this past weekend it included the Final Four, and uh, we will be watching the national championship game with you on Monday. Can't wait to do that with you and share that experience with you. I hope it's a fantastic game, and thank you for sharing the season with us. Salancha, grazie, grazie, arigato. Cheers.